0: Acts chapter 2, <coughs> verse 14 is where we will start. We're going to look at Peter's sermon. Peter's sermon on Pentecost. Now, we're not going to cover everything contained in Acts chapter 2. We're just going to cover just a couple of points here. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. By the way, unbelievers always have a very strange explanation of why we believers do what we do. Well, you're just naive. Well, you're just crazy. Well, you're just whatever the explanation is. That hasn't changed, by the way. They had a very, very odd explanation of what they were seeing. Verse 16. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out. And those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs, and the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. To connect with you through your word. We love you. We thank you for your kindness and love and grace. And God, I pray that you would help us to see the importance of the message of repent and believe on Jesus Christ. We need you. Lord, again, I pray for the one or the two that are listening that have never yet repented from trying to save themselves and they've not yet believed on jesus christ for their salvation help them to make that decision today god help us as believers to also understand the importance of this doctrine jesus name i pray amen peter's sermon repent and believe on jesus i'm going to grab the laptop real quick so that i can change some slides as we go through Now, we're going to go through this piece by piece, but notice in verse number 37 and 38, and this is where we get the theme. Remember, preaching is different than teaching. Teaching, the goal of teaching is so that we can understand. And preaching isn't meant to confuse, but preaching is declaring so that people can understand But there is a goal at the end of preaching for us to make a decision. Make a decision. That's the difference between teaching and preaching. A good Bible based church will have both teaching and preaching, not just teaching, so that we understand. Christianity is more than just an educational exercise of trying to understand the Bible, it must be practiced in order for us to really become a Christian and to live out Christianity. We must make a decision and it must be a decision that is so deep that with God's help, we plan to make that decision for the rest of our life. I am going to respond to what God is doing in my heart as I hear the word of God being preached. I'm going to decide by God's grace, that is the kind of church Sparrow Baptist Church is striving to be. Pastor, why do we preach? Last sermon uh, last week, I preached for fifty-two minutes. Ah! Why don't we? Why don't we just? Why don't we just sing the whole time? Well, we should sing, but God places a premium in New Testament Christianity on the preaching of God's word. By the way, the preacher is not the focal point. I am not the focal point. God's word is the focal point. We 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 come to listen to the word of God being preached, being declared. That's why we don't take questions. During this time, teaching time, yes. During this time, it's meant for us just to listen, take on board what we can understand, and then when there's the directive mostly from God, but also from the sermon okay now what should i what should i change what should i decide what should i decide we get that from god's word so it says in verse 37 now when they heard this they were pricked in their heart that's the conviction that means they were they were convinced in their heart of what the preacher was talking about they found themselves in the sermon material they're like oh man that's me for sure That's me. That's God speaking to me for sure. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? That is the proper response to a sermon when we hear the word of God. What should I do? Uh, A sermon really isn't a sermon if it doesn't answer that question. What do I do? Sometimes at the end of it is, well, this is what you should believe. Sometimes it's, this is what you should change, okay? And again, it comes from the source of what we should change is from God's word. We're obeying that, we're connecting with that. You know, we oftentimes will have a conversation on one of these devices. We hear the voice. We don't see the person. Of course, nowadays with video, we can't see the person, but it's not that person in, in person. It's not that person in person. We have to understand when we are hearing someone preach the word of God to us, our heart is connecting with God's words. Just like we can hear the words of our friend or our parent on a phone call. When someone's preaching God's words, we're connecting with God's voice. Let me say that again. When we hear someone preach God's words, we are connecting with God's voice. We listen with our heart. Our heart needs to be open. Oftentimes, we talk about being closed-minded and open-minded, right? We need to be open-hearted towards what God has to say to us in a sermon. We're listening for God's voice deep in our heart, convinced, oh, man, that's true, and I really need to change that. And I'm going to respond to God. I'm going to respond to God. I'm going to do what he's telling me to do. That's how we grow, and that's how we change. That's how we become a Christian. That's how we trust christ as our savior listen that's how we have our sins forgiven we respond to what god is is telling us in our heart based on god's word not everything is god's voice what comes from god's word that is god's voice amen so they said what shall we do verse 38 then peter said unto them repent repent and be baptized what is he saying he's saying repent he's saying change your mind don't you understand based on these facts and based on what God's word says this is your condition this is what God wants we see the difference and you need to change you need to grow you need to make a decision here oftentimes God really can't help someone in their current situation they come to church and they leave with no hope they come to church and they leave without any help they come to church and they leave with with no guidance why? because they, listen they don't want to change they want God to change someone else they want God to change the situation but they don't want God to change them God brings profound change in our lives and gives us that which we desperately hope for, that deep satisfaction we talked about in Psalm 63, when we are willing to change and respond, when we are willing to be the one that changes. My question is this, my friend. Are you willing to change? If God was going to show you something today, Anyone sitting, listening in here, or someone listening to the recording later, are you willing to change? If you knew that God was speaking to you, would you ask as these men asked, what should I do? Peter said, repent, change. Allow the message to permanently change the way that you think and the way that you believe it changed their lives my friends when they responded to the sermon it changed everything it changed everything and we'll cover what it what it changed and how it changed later but my question is this peter what did you say what did you say that everyone that not everyone that listened but many who listened that day change their lives. There's a TV show on Fox TV called Kitchen Nightmares with Chef Gordon Ramsey. How many of you guys have seen that one? Maybe a little bit of it. Some of you like the, the cooking and the food network. Some of you say, I don't know any time for that. The restaurants are typically on the verge of closing and in desperate need of help. What's interesting is that Oftentimes, the restaurants look appealing from the outside. Large amounts of time and money oftentimes have been spent finding the right location and creating a welcoming atmosphere. But in every episode, the real problem is the same. The food is disgusting. What good does it, if you have an an amazing location with amazing decorations, for a restaurant, but ultimately what you come there for, the food is terrible. One of the painfully entertaining parts of every show. Now it can be argued reality TV in quotations. Maybe this is all scripted, but again, we're just using this as an illustration to kind of help us understand what it means to repent. One of the painfully entertaining parts of every show is how Chef Gordon Ramsay tries over and over to get the restaurant workers to realize they are in a, oh no, situation. The owners have typically already had a sudden awakening because the business is in trouble, meaning the numbers are not adding up, they're not making enough money. But what they need is some brutal honesty. And Chef Ramsay is brutal. That's kind of how he's, he's made his name. He'll usually order about half a dozen items off the menu and with great passion and clarity explain, with his British accent, how horrible each one tastes. The restaurant owners are in denial about the quality of their food because they are distracted by everything else going on. They're managing food orders, overseeing wait staff, stepping out of the kitchen to shake hands with customers, Basically anything but actually making good food. The show is half over before any of them get honest with themselves about the reality. That's really what God's word is supposed to do in our heart. When we hear God's word, listen, oftentimes people will say, you know, Christianity, I don't agree with some of the things. Well, that means you probably heard a pretty good Explanation of what Bible Christianity really is. Honestly, there's no way. This, this, that's one of the evidences that this is God's word, that it wasn't just written by human beings out of their own heart. Because it tells us things about ourselves. where honestly we wish, you know what, I, I, I'm not really sure if I even want to think about that. And that's exactly what's happening in Acts chapter number two. Acts chapter number two starts with Peter talking about Joel chapter number two. And it says here in verse number 17, uh, verse 16 and 17, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. He's explaining to these men what they were seeing when, they, when, 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 when the first church had the gift of tongues and they were speaking in these other languages. And they were saying, what is this? And he said, well, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he goes on and he quotes the Old Testament passage and he begins to talk about how the spirit is going to be poured out in the last days. And verse number 19, and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke and the sun turned into darkness. That hasn't happened yet. The spirit part has happened. We're in the space between the spirit coming down and all of the other signs in the heavens. That hasn't happened yet. But verse 21 rings true. Other scriptures tell us the same thing. Verse 21, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He was basically telling them, pointing to Old Testament scriptures, what you're experiencing now, this is God working. This was prophesied. This is God working in your life. My friend, if I can just say, whatever circumstances led to you sitting in this room right now, is God working in your life? God is not a God that is afar off, that just created human beings and created the earth and created the cosmos and is just sitting really far back and just kind of watching everything. God is intimately involved in every detail of every person's life. Why? He is pushing them towards. A decision, as we can see here, of them trusting Christ as their Savior. Now, unfortunately, the Bible rings true that many people will hear the message and choose not to believe. Please don't be one of them. God will not make an exception for you. God will not be mocked. God is God. God did not love the world so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for your sin, and that same son The Lord Jesus Christ rise from the dead, proving that he is genuinely the only sacrifice for sin. And he is the only one that can raise us up and bring us to heaven as he proved he can raise his own body from the dead. He didn't go through all of that to then look at you and say, but you're an exception. You don't have to do that. Jesus Christ is exclusively the only savior for all of mankind. He's the only one. Oh, well, pastor, I have this other religion. That's fantastic. But let me tell you, friend, Jesus Christ is the only savior for mankind. The only savior for mankind. And most people prefer to lean into mankind rather than leaning into the humanity of Christ. Are you trying to say that all the people, I'm not saying anything. I'm trying to say Jesus proved. You know, it's amazing. That while on one hand, we hear the message of the gospel. So many people nowadays want to take, take sides of humanity. I can't, say, I can't believe you're saying all these people are bad. Again, Christians don't say anyone's bad. God says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The evidence of that is when someone desperately tries in their own religion to save themselves. I just finished the amazing autobiography of Gandhi. Such such an impressive person with his self-discipline. But he admits at the very end of all that he did in his exercise of self-discipline and limiting himself and his vegetarianism and all that he did for, for India and for South Africa in how he resolutely stuck with his vows that he placed upon himself in several different disciplines. That he admits in his own autobiography, as much as I have tried to follow these vows for my own moksha, I think is is what he said, salvation. He does not have any assurance that it's enough. My friend, that's what our own self-efforts, no matter what path you choose, even if it's a Christian path, that's what it leaves us. It leaves us wondering. I don't know if it's enough. I've tried. I've disciplined myself. I've done everything I can, I've, I've, I can, I've done everything I can but I still don't know if it's enough. We have a verse I'd like to show you on the screen. I'm going to slide down. Bible says this for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast salvation is of Christ he did it for you he intends your forgiveness to be a gift He doesn't intend to give you a path to say, work this path, work this plan, and maybe, hopefully. You know, you ask somebody, if you die today, are you sure that you go to heaven, provided they're religious, provided they believe in heaven? A lot of people say, I hope so. My friend, you can know so. You don't have to hope so. You can know so. Listen, it doesn't have to be like the weather. Uh, I, I heard recently of somebody saying, I'm going to travel in a month, I'm going to check the weather. You're going to check the weather, what it's gonna, what's going to happen in a month? How accurate is that going to be? No, maybe reasonably some, but it's definitely a ballpark, right? Like, you know, I mean, within 10 degrees or rain, not rain percentages, nobody knows. But you're just like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping it's going to be like this. This is kind of a ball. Listen, that is not the salvation Jesus provides for us. You don't have to be like, oh, you know, I think maybe kind of, sort of, maybe 80%, maybe 90%. You can know for sure why. Because it's by grace. Grace is undeserved favor. It is not us showing up like it's a job interview saying, look at my qualifications for salvation. Don't you think I've done enough, Jesus? No, no, no. It is you showing up with an empty piece of paper saying, there is nothing that I can do. There's no amount of baptism. There's no amount of vows. There's no amount of discipline. There's no amount of prayer. There's no amount of confirmations. There's no amount of, if I did all the religions at once, if I believed in everything all at the same time, and I tried my very best to try to be the nicest person, it's not enough, my friend. Let me tell you what is enough. The Bible says in 1 John 2, First John 2, 1 and 2. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And then it says these beautiful words. And he is the propitiation for our sins. What does propitiation mean? The appeasement. So many people are trying to do their very best to appease God. Trying to appease him. Trying to satisfy him. Christ is the appeasement. He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's a gift. He took our sin upon himself and he died for us. He took our place. He became the offering of sin, the perfect offering of sin, died for our sin. And then like the true victor that he is, rose back alive from the grave to come back and save those who will. My friend, drink this message in with a thirsty heart. Believe it. Repent. Repent. Oh, pastor, what does that mean? You know, like the the Chef Ramsay thing. Don't just look at all of the evidence that God has given us and say, no, no, I think I'm still okay. No, no. Listen, allow it to truly change your mind. Allow it to truly sink into your heart. Allow it to really propel you into fully believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, to the point you're willing to call on him for your salvation alone. That's what it means to be born again, my friend. That's what it means to be saved. Have you done that? Have you done that? Remember the application part of the sermon. What shall we do? Have you done that? Pastor, I have. Praise the Lord. Are you living like it? Or are you still trying to lean back into your past? He's given you victory over all that. You don't have to live that way anymore. You can live in victory. The resurrection is prophesied. It proves Jesus is the Messiah. Let me go back up to my, there it is. The resurrection was prophesied. It proves Jesus is the Christ. Peter's preaching here. It says in verse 22, you men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you, By miracles and wonders and signs. So again, they knew who Jesus of Nazareth was. Peter is preaching and he's giving the evidence. He was approved by God because he did miracles and signs and wonders. All of the stories that you hear, all of the accounts that you hear of Jesus going around and healing people and touching them and speaking a word over them and the blind would receive their sight. And the leprosy would be taken away, and he would heal their limbs and take away their diseases. And he would even come, and in several accounts, he would raise the dead after they'd been dead for three days. Why did he do all of this? For evidence. He did it for a sign. He didn't do it just because he was a nice person, even though he is the nicest and the kindest. He did it for a purpose. Let me tell you something. He is doing what he's doing in your life for a purpose, too, that you may believe on him completely and follow him with your life. He wants you to repent. He wants you to call on his name for salvation. And so Peter is talking about Jesus of Nazareth. He talks about a a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know him. Being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Now, that's an interesting statement in verse number 23. It means that God had pre planned Jesus to die on the cross. It wasn't an accident. And therefore, that means because it was pre planned and God has the power to shape history according to his own plan many hundreds of years beforehand he can give a prophecy. He's going to give the prophecy and say, Christ is going to die by wicked men and he's going to be crucified. And then when that day came, it actually happened. Jesus gave the evidence. I'm doing the signs and the wonders. And part of the evidence was simply that Christ died on the cross according to God's prophecy, many prophecies in the Old Testament. By the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, we have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, verse 24, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. God raised up Jesus, having loosed the pains of death, because it is not possible that he should be holden of it. Then he begins to quote in Psalm 16, in verse number 25, for David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. So if we're going to look at Psalm 16, this is a direct quotation in verse number 25. He's basically saying, David is speaking in, the, in this psalm, Psalm number 16, and he said, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also, my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption, thou hast made known to me the, the ways of life, thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sin on his throne. He, seeing this before, because he was a prophet, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. So he's pointing back to Psalm 16, saying the things that David was saying was not necessarily something that David was speaking about himself, but something that he prophesied of Jesus Christ when Jesus would die, that his soul would not be left in hell or not in grave or not in sheol, is the Hebrew word but that he would, and, and, and he would not see corruption. His body would not begin to decay, but that he would come back to life. So he's pointing to the Old Testament prophecy that Jesus would rise from the dead. And it says in verse 32, this Jesus hath God raised up whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of exalted and having received of the father, the promise of the Holy Ghost, He hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. He goes through several Old Testament scriptures and he's basically proving to this Jewish crowd that knows these scriptures already. These Old Testament scriptures that you know about are not, David is not talking about himself, but it is a prophecy related to Jesus Christ. And this is how Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. This is one way that we know that when we believe on Jesus Christ and we, in our life, walk as a Christian and obey the Bible, that it's not just another religion. How can it be? How can it just be another belief structure? How can it just be another story? How can it not be supernatural? When David, who lived thousands of years before Christ, and Isaiah, who lived hundreds of years before Christ, and prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, hundreds of years apart and spaced all over by many different men and written down to prove, all came true in one person in Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. How is it possible? How is this a coincidence? Listen, how is it a coincidence? It's not a coincidence. It's true. He really is the son of God. He really did die for our sin. He really did rise from the dead. And he really does forgive your sins if you call on him and ask him to do so, believing on him with your whole heart. He really does. He really does. Call on him to save you if you have not. And so we arrive at the last point once again. He's preaching this to many. The Bible says later that 3,000 of those listening received the message and called on Jesus to save them. And they were saved, and we'll cover those details next time. But it says in verse 37, when they heard this, when they heard this message, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, What shall we do? What shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Baptism is not for the forgiveness of sins. Baptism is simply an outward sign showing that you have called on Jesus Christ to save you. So he's not telling them, be baptized for the remission of sins. He's saying if you've called on him and you've asked him to save you and you've believed on Jesus Christ then baptism is the next step that follows. You're outwardly showing, I have trusted Christ as my savior. One story, as a child I lived, this one particular author named Dallas Willard tells a story. As a child, I lived in an area of Southern Missouri where electricity was available only in the form of lightning. He's talking about how when electricity first came to his tiny little rural area. He said, we had more of lightning than we could use, but in my senior year of high school, many, many years ago, the Rural Electrification Administration extended its lines into the area where we lived and electrical power became available to households and farms. When those lines came by our farm, a very different way of living presented itself. Our relationships to fundamental aspects of life, daylight and dark. Okay, let me ask real quick. How many of you have ever lived in a place where you didn't have electricity or electricity was not dependable? Anybody? Okay, good. So you you have some reference, good, in the crowd. Um, When we lived in Nepal for seven years, they would have what they called load shedding. They would sell the electricity off to other countries. And so we that lived in Nepal in the wintertime, which is when you need lights, they would turn off the the power up to 16 hours a day with no electricity. And I mean, at any time, and by the way, they didn't have to abide by the schedule. The schedule was whatever they decided it was going to be, even though they put one out. So imagine living in that time when you would have, when you would have to use lamps and fire, fire lamps, like oil lamps. Our relationships to fundamental aspects of life, daylight and dark, clean and dirty, work and leisure, preparing food and preserving it, could then be vastly changed for the better But we still had to believe in the electricity and its arrangements, understand them, and take the practical steps involved in relying on it. You may think the comparison rather crude, and in some respects it is, but it will help us understand Jesus' basic message about the kingdom of heaven, accepting Christ as our Savior, if we pause to reflect on those farmers who, in effect, heard the message. Repent, for electricity is at hand. Now, again, this is just kind of a silly way of understanding repent or turn from their kerosene lamps and lanterns, their ice boxes and cellars, their scrub boards and rug beaters, their woman-powered sewing machines and their radios with dry cell batteries. The power that could make their lives far better was right there near them, where by making relatively simple arrangements, they could utilize it. Strangely, a few did not accept it. They did not Enter the kingdom of electricity They just wanted to live the way They've already always lived They didn't want to take advantage Of this new electricity My friend the message is clear When we hear the message of Jesus Christ Are you content To just go on and live the way you've always lived Or are you willing to Drink in the message Completely with your whole heart And repent meaning Allow the truth of the message To change your beliefs. I am willing to trust Christ as my Savior. I am willing, like in Acts chapter 2, to receive the message. This is the historical, biblical message of Christianity. One last story and we'll be finished. This story goes back to Saddam Hussein when he was captured years ago. He was captured out of an eight-foot hole that one observer said was filled with rats and mice. He was flown to a secret location for a meeting with four members of Iraq's governing council. They wanted to confirm it was indeed Saddam Hussein. When the, when the men were offered the chance to see Saddam through a window or by camera, they said no We want to talk to him despite his condition saddam was defiant and unrepentant i'm not going to pronounce this name correctly please forgive me ahmad uh, ahmad we'll call him ahmad the head of the iraqi national congress said he was quite lucid he had command of his faculties he would not apologize to the iraqi people He did not deny any of the crimes he was confronted with having done. He tried to justify them. The world is crazy, one of the other council members in the room said. I was in his torture chamber years ago in 1979, and now he was sitting there powerless in front of me without anybody stopping me from doing anything to him. Just imagine, we were arguing and he was using very foul language. The four men spent about 30 minutes in the small room confronting Saddam with his crimes. As they left, one of the men delivered these final words to the former dictator. May God curse you. Tell me. When are you going to be accountable to God in the day of judgment? What are you going to tell him about the mass graves and the war crimes you have committed? The Iran-Iraq war. Thousands and thousands executed. What are you going to tell God? Saddam answered using foul language. Confronted with the truth. Confronted with accountability. Unrepentant. Everybody bow your heads please and close your eyes. My question is this. Have you accepted Christ as your savior? In some cases someone needs to learn more before they are willing to trust Christ. That's understandable. Allow yourself to be convinced. The truth is there. It is is real. Jesus loves you. He died on the cross to save you. The message was the same 50 days after Christ died on the cross on the day of Pentecost. The message of biblical Christianity has not changed. Jesus never said, come to the church, let the church save you. Jesus never said, go be confirmed and that will save you. Jesus never said, go be baptized and that will save you. Jesus never said, every way that you choose is fine. I'm just here to show you love. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life and no man comes to the father but By me. Are you willing to receive that message of love today? Are you willing to repent? To realize this message is for you? To realize Christ died for you? Are you willing to call on him today? Asking you to save him? Once again in verse 21 it says, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Perhaps you're a believer today. There is some step God is working in your heart to take. You've been prideful, obstinate, stubborn. Would you allow God's love and his truth to soften your heart? Can I remind all of us that we will all stand before God one day. Oh, pastor, I came to church to get comfort. My friend, this is comfort. If you're on the correct side, if you're on the correct side of believing in Christ, this is a deep comfort. This is an eternal comfort. To know his peace and to know his love. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said, please don't be like the the story of the dictator that though confronted with the truth is completely unrepentant. Seeking rather to justify, justify yourself in the face of overwhelming truth and love of Jesus Christ. Father, we're so thankful for an opportunity to worship you today. We're thankful for the message of Christ. I do pray for anyone who is listening today that they would allow the truth of who you are and what you've done to change their mind, as the men in the story of Acts 2 did. For you to change our lives completely with who we are, who you are, and what you've done for us. Us to repent, to have a change of mind, resulting in a change of heart. We thank you for your kindness and love in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would look right up at me, we have a few instructions. First of all, the message that you've heard today if you would like to speak to me or speak to uh, another qualified counselor in our church, we'd love to show you from the Bible how you can know for sure that if you died, you'd go to heaven. We can explain how you can trust Christ as your Savior. If you are interested in this, please, we are not interested in pressuring anyone. We're there to simply present the truth and leave you um, with the information so that you can make the decision for yourself. Today we're going to have a celebration of a birthday. It's my wife's birthday, and if you've been around the church for any length of time, you can see that April does so much for us. She is the heart. Uh, she is the brains <laughs> of most of what happens here. And so um, we are just going to have a, a brief birthday celebration. We have, that clock hasn't been changed. So keep that in mind. That that, uh, that clock should say 1210, not 110. So um, we're going to have tacos, praise God and a little bit of cake we have coffee and so if you are free to stay and fellowship with us and celebrate a little bit we'll get the food brought in we'll get uh the kids over here and miss april when she comes we'll sing to her and then we'll have a brief time we absolutely have to have everything cleared out and out of everything and out of the building by one thirty. um the man downstairs his name is jeff if you see him thank him staying a little extra today he typically will only stay until one o'clock but he was willing to stay a little bit extra so that we could have this time of fellowship so make him feel uncomfortable by thanking him (laughs) right um